0: John's gospel, and we beheld his glory. The topic this morning, the source of religious certainty. The source of religious certainty. There are certain messages. It's not that this part of the Bible is any more inspired than any other part, but there are certain subjects that you just have to be right on. You have to be right on. There are certain issues where if you don't get this right, you won't get anything else right either. It's the illustration I've used a million times. It's like when you're buttoning up your coat, you get the first button in the wrong hole, and you're going to get them wrong all the way down. That's the way it is with this subject. And we have some great texts to study. I hope you have a Bible with you. The source of religious certainty... John chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. John 3, 11 through 13. Jesus is the speaker. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Lord, just help us as we look into your word. We want to hear not just the ideas of some speaker, but your Holy Spirit through sacred text growing the truth of your word in our hearts and minds in a way that is empowering. In Jesus' name I pray and thank you. Amen. Last Sunday, if you were here, we gathered our thoughts around the first 10 verses of this pointed conversation with Nicodemus. And our text today immediately points out a contrast with the last words Nicodemus speaks to Jesus in that whole encounter. The last words Nicodemus speaks to Jesus are words of misunderstanding. In 3.9, quote, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? That's the last thing that Nicodemus says. Jesus is stunned that an expert in the Jewish scriptures still doesn't know. That's the important word. He doesn't know who Jesus is and why he came. That's in 3.10. Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher in Israel, yet you do not understand these things? So, our text from last week ends with what wasn't understood by Nicodemus, and our text today begins with what is known with absolute certainty by Jesus that's the contrast Jesus says 311 truly truly I say to you we speak of what we know bear witness to what we have seen and all of this all of this just raises one of the most fundamental rubber meets the road issues any disciple of Jesus can ever face. We're brought, thankfully, by Jesus himself. We're brought face to face with the issue of, what do we know for sure? Here we sit. What do we know for sure? And maybe even more important, how do we know we know for sure? What is the source of religious certainty? Here's what I love about Jesus. He was never afraid to be dogmatic about what he knew and what he said we could know. He he didn't buy into this current trend in, in Christian circles, the current trend of magnifying mystery where You know, questions are more important than answers, Pastor Don. He avoided that like he avoided sin. He spoke over and over again about knowable truth. Surely we don't know everything, but there was knowable truth. And he he did it in such a way that a lot of churches and a lot of Christians find kind of arrogant and narrow-minded and presumptuous. And he seemed very happy to do that. Of course, Jesus knew, and we all know that there are things we don't know. We don't know everything. But over and over, as in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus was stunned by what the religious crowd could know for sure, but didn't. He never glamorized needless ignorance. I have three thoughts from this text. Point number one, there is a solid foundation for New Testament certainty. Here's what I want to look at, 10 and 11. You'll notice something strange in here. I hope I can point it out to you. Jesus answered him. He answers Nicodemus. Are you a teacher in Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Now, Jesus is speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, that's weird. We speak of what we know, bear witness to what we have seen, that you do not receive our testimony. The striking feature is the use of all those plurals. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know, bear witness to what we have seen, you do not receive our testimony. I mean, we expect. Jesus, to express high confidence in what he says, what he knows, what he has seen, that's easy. But, but who is he lumping in with himself with all these we's in the text? Church. Getting the right answer to that question means everything in what you know in the Christian life and what you can bank on. So if you miss everything else in the sermon, try to get this part. It matters because it builds the foundation on which the whole structure of knowable gospel truth is established. Jesus says, we speak, we know, we have seen, and here's why. Did that light just get brighter on me? And please don't do that. We speak what we know, we have seen, and he does it for this reason. He includes the Apostle John, who wrote this book, and all the other apostolic authors of New Testament revelation with his own knowledge and his own words and his own witness. Don't miss this. Jesus is linking his authority, God the Son, with theirs, the apostles who are going to record his words and works. In other words, and this is very common among millennials and younger, they all like to, Paul was a sexist and a chauvinist. And, and by the way, oh, I shouldn't do this. Let me just say this. If you're getting all your information on the Apostle Paul from Jen Hatmaker, you're being sold a bill of goods. That's all I'm going to say. Jesus links his authority to the apostles. In other words, you can't dismiss or question the absolute authority of the apostle Paul without throwing Jesus under the same bus. That's the point I'm making. This is incredibly important. Jesus never wrote a book, not a line, not a sentence. We don't have one recorded word from Jesus except that which came through the apostles who documented him. And Jesus makes it very plain to all who will hear that to his mind, the words of the apostles recorded for the church carry just as much revelation and certainty as the actual words that first came out of his mouth. Nothing is lost. The truth doesn't get watered down it's not like the apostles are just sort of ballparking what Jesus said. Nothing is lost in the pages of your New Testament. You don't have less certainty of Jesus' words than the very first people who stood there listening to him. That's a huge point. It's a huge point. In one of the truly great books on the nature of, an inspiration of the Bible. There's an old classic. Maybe if you're blessed and lucky, you'll, you'll find it somewhere. I can remember when I first read it. It's The Progress of Doctrine in the New Testament by Thomas Bernard. It's the Progress of Doctrine in the New Testament by Thomas Bernard, B-E-R-N-A-R-D. And on the very first page, the very first chapter, he lays the foundation for the whole thesis of the book. And here's the the verse he starts working with. Jesus is praying to the Father, I have given them, that's the apostles, the words, plural, that you gave me. They have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Bernard's point is that Jesus didn't just say, I have given them the word. But words. Think about it. Jesus is saying, I gave them, the apostles, words, nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs, sentences. Jesus didn't leave the apostles with just concepts. No, they got the very words from Jesus. No wonder then, no wonder John labors to kind of lay bare the living connection between the words recorded by the apostles and the revealing work of the Holy Spirit himself. You'll see it in places like this. Look what he says in John 14, 25 and 26. Jesus is speaking. These things I have spoken to you, the you is the apostles, while I was still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's really important. Notice, here is, and here's the primary application. We all know that the Holy Spirit works that miracle in our hearts, bringing God's truth to life. I'm not denying any of that. I'm saying the primary application of those words Jesus makes it clear he's not always going to be with these apostles. While I am still with you, he says. I'm speaking to you while I'm still with you. And he makes it clear he's not always going to be with them. They're not going to actually record all these things till years later. And Jesus says to them, but you don't have to worry that when you record these things, you're not going to get it quite Right? Religious certainty is what we're talking about. You don't have to worry that you're not going to get it quite right because God, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and he's going to bring all these things to your remembrance. He will make sure everything you put down is going to be absolutely accurate and absolutely reliable. And it's not just your memory that we're relying on to get this done. God's going to do something. Did everybody get that? This is a really special book that you bring to church. You probably don't bring it like this anymore. Still special. Want you to notice another one? Look at this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. You're not ready for it right now. When the here's the same idea. When the spirit. Notice what he's called, the spirit of what? When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak not on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things which are to come. It's not like just the second coming, but Jesus hasn't died yet. There's his death, his resurrection, the meaning of the atonement. There's so much that they don't have yet. He will glorify me. Here, look, here it is. For he, the he, is there, the Holy Spirit of truth. He will take what is mine, that's Jesus, and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We simply must keep a firm grasp on a text like that. Sure, the words apply to the Spirit's reminding work, faithfully done in all of our lives as we follow Jesus. But the primary application is the way Jesus spoke these words, first of all, to those apostles who would have the responsibility of recording the words of Jesus after he had ascended into heaven. The second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself, will ensure accuracy. The church, down through the centuries, can confidently lean on what you have in your scriptures. There's one other thing before we leave this point. Texts like this are precious because they guarantee accuracy and certainty. But there's a second function that's equally important. These words that we've been studying about the Holy Spirit, bringing truth to the mind, making sure it's recorded faithfully, they do ensure certainty, but they also confine divine revelation to those texts. They put a fence around divine truth. God himself has marked out divine limitations as to where absolute truth is to be found. It's really important. This doctrine is about certainty of truth, but it's equally about confinement of truth to the sacred pages of Scripture. What that means is, if I'm to place responsible faith, belief, in Jesus Christ, I have to come to Christ through the revelation of the New Testament. That this is the final resting place for faith in Christ. It's not in visions. It's not in voices. It's not in present-day prophetic utterances and declarations. And we're a Pentecostal church, believes in the current manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. Because, well, because there isn't a verse in here that says, and by the way, they're done. So we believe in that, but recognizing how they're confined under the authority of Scripture. So when Jesus says, we speak what? we know, bear witness to what we have seen, 311. He tells us that the path to certainty is found in his recorded words through the writing of the apostles in the New Testament and nowhere else. Now you come into some tricky words, point number two. Earthly things before heavenly things. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and they're hard words. If I have told you earthly things, earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Notice again the very last words of verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony; you don't, you don't receive it. That sets up verse twelve. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? There's a problem. Jesus tells Nicodemus that his Nicodemus's rejection of Jesus' teaching on earthly things keeps him from receiving heavenly things. That's in verse 12. The only problem is Jesus doesn't explain anywhere in the text, nor does John, what are the earthly things and what are the heavenly things. The only clue we get is there's a definite order in understanding that's implied. In other words, it's because Nicodemus doesn't believe these earthly things that he can't believe the heavenly things. We know that much. The unbelief of what is earthly blocks the entrance of heavenly truth and belief. That much seems pretty clear from Jesus' words which leads me maybe to deduce something like this. Jesus starts with Nicodemus at the point of this deep need that Nicodemus brings to Jesus. He comes to Jesus. And so right at this point, gone are the lofty truths from chapter one about, gee, was God with God at the same time. There are no more statements about Without him was not anything made that was made, 1-3. No. Jesus talks directly to Nicodemus about what Nicodemus needs to do right here, right now. Nicodemus needs a new heart right here, right now. Nicodemus needs, he knows he needs a fresh start with God because That's why he's coming to Jesus, right? He he knows there's something wrong with his relationship with God, right there, right now, as he walks the earth presently. Jesus is saying he needs to admit this is a deep, personal, human, fallen, internal problem. And Nicodemus, this great religious leader of the Jews, He knows he can't get to God as he is because he's surely been working at it as hard as anybody on earth could ever work on it. He knows that. So right now, he has to humble himself. He has to repent if he's going to understand anything else that he needs to know about Jesus. Repentance, then understanding. This is the only starting place to know Christ with certainty. Maybe you have never done that in this room. You can go to church till the cows come home and not get a start with Jesus in knowing what's going on in your own heart. There is this present, can I call it, earthly, moral side to receiving further heavenly divine truth. Jesus requires an honest, responsive, repentant heart, and that opens the door to knowing God through Christ. There's no entrance into eternal life, to the things of heaven, apart from this starting point, presently right here on earth. Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. Three. Here's what else I think is in this text. Be careful about where you get your information about heaven, God, and things spiritual. I'm looking at 311 and 13. Jesus is the speaker. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. I talked about the plurals, remember? That you do not receive our testimony and then he says, 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. I will never forget. They don't go to this church anymore. One woman came up to me. It was when we had the resource room and all the books and stuff in there. And I forget why I was in there. Someone was asking me a question about a book. And this, you would know this woman. She came up to me. Oh, Pastor Don. I just finished reading The Shack. By the way, you see how fast these things come and go. When's the last time you heard anybody talk to you about The Shack? Pastor Don, it changed my life. I said, really? She said, the way there was that revelation of God, as remember, it's kind of an Aunt Jemima God in the book and there's room for everybody, and all the ideas, and I have never felt so loved and comforted. Have you read it? Hey, there was a mistake. And by the way, this is why my wife won't allow me ever to be on social media while I'm a pastor. I should have just said no not read it, and gone into my office and closed the door. I said, no. Who cares about that? Where do you get your information about eternal life and the things of heaven? And what you see in these verses is Jesus claiming This absolutely unique authority. He actually says, I am the only one who has ascended into heaven. It's in 13. No one has ascended. All these people that talk about going to heaven, right? You know the books? Do you see these words? No one. How many people is that? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Uh, So I might as well say it right up front, get everybody mad at me equally at the same time. Please don't bring me the next bestseller, and there will be more coming of some saint, some prophet, some four-year-old, some grandmother, some escaped prisoner, some converted cocker spaniel who, who claims to have died and come back with revelations of either heaven or hell. I am not interested. I don't care one hoot about any of it. I have Jesus' words, inspired by the second person of the Trinity, recorded by the Spirit-inspired, remember, apostles? And Jesus quite bluntly says that, he's saying, I have absolute authority about heaven. I have absolute certainty about heaven. In fact, he says, no one else does. I'm the only one. You want to know about it? I'm the one you want to get there I'm the one he quite bluntly tells me that he's absolutely certain about heaven that's where he comes from that's very different from someone telling me what he or she has learned from a brief visit Do you see the difference when Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, he's, he's dropping a ballistic bomb on our pluralistic culture. He, he shakes up this world crammed full of religions and gods and prophets and sacrifices and books and temples by telling everyone that there was no one else with access to Father God. No one. love it. Jesus is saying everybody else is an imposter. Nicodemus, you need to understand this if you're going to be born again. There are no other words of salvation, no angelic messengers or visitation that can override Christ's central place. Do not expect any other valid offers. The space between Father God and mankind is permanently filled in Jesus Christ. Here's how you wrap up there's one God, and there are how many? One mediator. Those are great words. Those are great words. The Holy Spirit makes sure that they're accurate. There are no other experts on whom you can lean and no other words that you can trust.